0: If you'd like one, please send a letter with $3 worth of stamps in an envelope to P.O. Box 82146 Highland Park, Howick, Auckland or you can phone 092713377 Buddhist Youth Association, Respectful, Beneficial, Empowering. Hello, welcome to the program and thank you for joining us today. We're discussing Lama Tongkapa's text, The Three Principal Aspects of the Path. The text is relatively short, just 14 verses, but it covers a vast ground on a Buddhist path. So that although we've only gone through a few verses, we've taken quite a f- few programs to do so. I'm going to read the verses again now, just to place us in context as we move on. I bow down to the Venerable Spiritual Masters. I will explain, as well as I am able the essence of all the teachings of the conqueror, the path praised by the conquerors and their spiritual children, the entrance for the fortunate ones who desire liberation. Listen with clear minds, you fortunate ones, who direct your minds to the path pleasing to the Buddha and strive to make good use of leisure and opportunity without being attached to the joys of cyclic existence. For you embodied beings bound by the craving for existence, without the pure determination to be free, that's renunciation, from the ocean of existence, there's no way for you to pacify the attractions to its pleasurable effects. Thus, from the outset, seek to generate the determination to be free. By contemplating the leisure and endowments so difficult to find and the fleeting fleeting nature of your life, reverse the clinging to this life. By repeatedly contemplating the infallible effects of karma and the miseries of cyclic existence, reverse the clinging to future lives. By contemplating in this way, do not generate even for an instant the wish for the pleasures of cyclic existence. When you have, day and night unceasingly, the mind aspiring for liberation, then you have generated the determination to be free. Now up to there, the text deals with renunciation, and we covered this quite extensively in previous programs. Then we moved on to the first verse encouraging us to develop bodhicitta, And that verse reads However, if your determination to be free is not sustained by the pure altruistic intention, and that's bodhicitta, it does not become the cause for the perfect bliss of unsurpassed enlightenment. Therefore, the intelligent generate the supreme thought of enlightenment. And those of you who have stuck with us since the beginning will know that we also spent many programs going through the two ways to develop bodhicitta and the Tonglen practice, which we finally completed last week. Now this week we move on to the next two verses which explain how to look at living beings and why we have to develop bodhicitta. And they read like this. Swept by the current of the four powerful rivers, tied by the strong bonds of karma which are so hard to undo, caught in an iron net of self-grasping egoism, completely enveloped by the darkness of ignorance, born and reborn in boundless cyclic existence, unceasingly tormented by the three miseries. By thinking of all mother-sentient beings in this condition, generate the supreme altruistic aspiration. Now before we start on looking at this, let's set our motivation for the program like we usually do. As we're dealing with bodhicitta, that's a great mindset to start on. Therefore, if you can, motivate that this program becomes a cause for your enlightenment so you can benefit countless beings in whatsoever way they need. In both mundane and supramundane ways. Thank you. Now to continue with the text and that verse again that reads Swept by the currents of the four powerful rivers, tied by the strong bonds of karma which are so hard to undo, caught in the iron net of self grasping egoism, completely enveloped by the darkness of ignorance, born and reborn in boundless cyclic existence unceasingly tormented by the three miseries, by thinking of all mother-sentient beings in this condition, generate the supreme altruistic aspiration. That's quite a vivid image, don't you think? And Tsongkhapa must have really wanted us to understand the dire situation that we and other sentient beings are in. Swept by the current of the four powerful rivers. Here he is referring to the four cause rivers and their four results as we take life again and again in cyclic existence. In his commentary, Geluk Rinpoche says that the four causal rivers are attachment, wrong view, ignorance and desire, and the four resultant rivers are birth, sickness, aging and death. In his commentary, Geshe Sonam Rinchen calls the rivers torrents and writes, The torrent of ignorance consists of obstructions which can only be eliminated on the paths of seeing and meditation. The torrent of views comprises the false view of the transitory collection as a real I and mine, extreme views, wrong views, considering misguided forms of discipline and conduct as supreme, and holding faulty views as supreme. The torrent of desire includes all disturbing attitudes and emotions, other than ignorance and misleading views that are associated with the desire realm. Finally, the torrent of worldly existence, what Gellick Rinpoche calls attachment, consists of the disturbing emotions associated with the form and formless realms. These causal torrents sweep living beings along like a stick in the strong current of a river and lead to the resultant waters of cyclic existence made turbulent by the irresistible currents of birth, sickness, ageing and death. And There's quite a bit of jargon there and for those unfamiliar it might all sound quite complicated. So let's examine this in a bit more detail. When talking about the torrent of ignorance, Geshe Sanam Rinchen particularly means self-grasping ignorance. Now in his book, The Path to Enlightenment in Tibetan Buddhism, Geshe Loden writes that there are many types of ignorance, but this is the one that grasps at people and things as being self-existent or having an inherent existence. He writes, From the self-grasping ignorance all other delusions arise, and thus contaminated actions are accumulated and cyclic existence perpetuated. Contaminated actions refers to actions that are contaminated by motives based on afflictive emotion. For instance, a farmer might raise a sheep very well, from lamb upwards, for the sole purpose of eventually killing and eating it. Any action the farmer does for the sheep may have the appearance of caring and nurture, but it is contaminated because of the harmful intention. By doing such actions, we just place negative imprints on our minds and through those we will have to take yet another unsatisfactory and suffering rebirth. And all those rebirths, because of our familiarity with harming other beings for our own deluded happiness, we will commit those types of actions again and again. Through that we experience more negative rebirths and the cycle continues. Geshe then goes on, Until you eliminate the self-grasping ignorance By correctly perceiving the emptiness of inherent existence of the self and phenomena it's not possible to permanently remove other delusions. However, by practicing the wisdom perceiving emptiness and thus overcoming this basic ignorance all delusions are completely and permanently ceased. We can temporarily suspend delusions through applying their antidotes, but we cannot completely eliminate them until we experientially see the nature of reality. For example, Shantideva gives us all sorts of techniques to practice and develop patience and not give in to anger. We can use these techniques to the point that our mind stays relatively calm in just about every situation. But we cannot guarantee a complete banishment of irritation from our mind until we fully understand the wisdom realizing all phenomena are empty of inherent independent existence. Geshe Loden Uses the traditional analogy of a tree, a sharp axe, and a steady hand. He writes If we want to kill off a large oak tree, we could start by trimming its leaves and pruning the outer branches. However, without a great and constant effort, the branches and leaves would just keep growing back. By using a sharp axe to cut the tree at its roots, though, it will be killed off forever, and no more effort will need to be applied. The great tree of cyclic existence continues to grow more leaves of suffering from the branches of karma and afflictive emotions. However, if we cut its root of self-grasping ignorance with the sharp axe of wisdom wielded by the steady hand of concentration, we will kill the tree of cyclic existence forever. The real opponent to ignorance is developing the wisdom perceiving the true nature of phenomena, the emptiness of inherent existence. The Mahayana tradition speaks of five paths of meditation that's accumulation, preparation, seeing, meditation and no more learning. The path of accumulation is the beginning of the practice when a person has a strong desire to free themselves and others of suffering and also develops a powerful renunciation of worldly life. With such a desire and renunciation the person then starts to meditate on the path to enlightenment and gathers lots of positive potential by doing positive deeds and purifying negative karma. Then, on the path of preparation, a meditator will meditate and analyze the nature of reality, primarily through reasoning. Usually, the meditations are for a limited time and lack complete clarity. The person will have an understanding of the concept of selflessness or emptiness and know that is what will overcome suffering but he or she won't have a direct perception of selflessness or emptiness. So someone on the path of preparation works towards gaining this direct perception. Now when we reach the path of seeing, we will have a very powerful meditative concentration which we focus on the nature of reality. Through meditating with this focus again and again, we will come to a direct perception or realization of selflessness or emptiness. When our realization of the nature of reality is total and complete we will be free from cyclic existence and all our suffering because due to our understanding of the nature of reality we will no longer experience any negative emotions. In his commentary, Losang Samten notes that there are various levels of subtlety regarding ignorance of the nature of reality of the self. He first describes an intellectual grasping at the self. And then an innate grasping at the self. The first is caused by culture, education, environment, and so on. The second, the innate grasping itself, arises from what he calls deep internal habituation, and it is fundamental to all sentient beings. Now, on the path of seeing, we purify and rid ourselves of the intellectual grasping, but the in- innate grasping, while reduced, still remains to a certain extent. Eventually, on the fifth path, the, ma- the path of meditation, we will free ourselves from this completely and become a Buddha. Lozang Samtian writes, In Mahayana, the root of suffering is seen to be the belief that the self and other phenomena I- inherently exist, which is a more subtle form of ignorance than either of the other two. Within the path of seeing, an understanding of emptiness is gained, which reduces the idea that the self or other phenomena exist independently and the coarse level of delusions are cleansed. Within the Mayana it is asserted that wisdom is insufficient to purify the subtle imprints of delusion which require the additional element of Bodhi mind, and that is Bodhicitta, together with various degrees of wisdom to reach levels much more profound than achieved on the path of seeing. So this might give you some understanding of what Geshe Sonam Rinchen was talking about when he said the torrent of ignorance consists of obstructions which can only be eliminated on the paths of seeing and meditation. Then, the river of wrong view actually refers to five deluded views, what Geshe Sonam Rinchen refers to as the false view of the transitory collection as a real iron mine, extreme views, wrong views, considering misguided forms of discipline and conduct as supreme, and holding false, faulty views as supreme let's briefly look at what all this means. Firstly, the false view of the transitory collection is a view that looks at the five impermanent aggregates, the four elements, the 18 constituents, etc., that in Buddhist parlance make us up and attaches onto them a permanent, independent and inherent self. Now let's just take the aggregates as an example. We consist of form. That's our body and all the forms we interact with. Feeling which is pleasurable, non-pleasurable, and neutral feelings. And discrimination, which refers to knowing how things differ from each other. That's three. Then we're also made up of what, we call, what are called volitional factors. And these are all the other mental factors we have, such as diligence, laziness, and so on. Fifty-one of them in all, minus feeling and discrimination, which are seen as special. And finally, the fifth aggregate is consciousness. Now all of these five aggregates form, feeling, discrimination, volitional factors and consciousness and in fact everything else that makes us up are impermanent, that is, they change instant by instant. We can validly label an I onto the collection of impermanent things, that's okay. But what we tend to do is view this transitory impermanent collection as somehow constituting a real permanent partless independent and inherently existing I, or self. That I is not just a label, but really appears to exist. And that's our big mistake. From this view of ourself, we attach to things as mine, like this body is mine, this feeling is mine, and so on. We then have to protect this I and mine, so we develop attachment to anything that is kind or appeals to this I and my stuff, aversion to anything that threatens this I and mine in any way and indifference to all the rest. Acting on those feelings develops karma and there we go, turning the wheel of cyclic existence. So that is what is referred to as the view of the transitory collection. Then holding extreme views refers to grasping at the view of the transitory collection but also thinking that the constructed I is either permanent and unchanging or totally disappears at death time. These are the views of eternalism and nihilism the Buddha found fault with. Keshi Laden writes that the extreme of permanence sees the self as permanent and unchanging, while the extreme of nihilism sees the self as utterly non-existent and thus lacking even conventional existence. These two views, he says, obstruct us from engaging in the middle way path, as presented by Nagarjuna and Chandrakirti then what Geshe Sonam Rinchen calls wrong view is defined in Geshe Loden's book as a deluded view that denies the existence of something that does exist, such as the law of cause and effect, or affirms the existence of something that does not exist, such as Ishvara being the creator of existence. The person who denies any relationship between negative actions and suffering and positive actions and happiness is an example of having deluded view denying something that does exist. The person who firmly believes that sacrificing chickens gives him spiritual power is an example of having deluded view affirming something that does not exist. If you ask such a person why sacrificing chickens is beneficial, you will have no satisfactory answer. Well, of course, from their own perspective, such people will find killing chickens to be beneficial, and the reason they give will no doubt satisfy themselves, even while being unsatisfactory to Buddhists. On the appropriately named Backyard Chicken website, one contributor who, f- who calls himself Fouled Out writes, I'm from Muong descent and every time I go to a chicken swap meet, auction or show, I get asked the question, do you kill chickens for ritual sacrifices? So here is the truth about chickens in my religion and culture. Yes, we do kill chickens for ritual sacrifices, but in a good way. Some rituals held just need a chicken but not killed. Chickens are not the only animals being sacrificed. Pigs, cows, goats, uh, and very, very rarely dogs. The chicken is one important animal in our culture, highly revered. There is a ritual called hu-pli, which means calling of the lost soul. This ritual is done when a person is ill or not being themselves. We believe that when your soul wanders away from your body, is lost or kidnapped by evil spirits, you get sick and modern medicines don't really work. A shaman or a wise elder of the family will take a pair of chickens, a rooster and a hen, with an egg placed on the top of a bowl filled with rice with some lit incense standing next to the egg. The shaman or wise elder will stand in front of the front door with a circular symbol, a set of split buffalo horns, and call the lost soul of the ill back home. The chickens part in this ritual is to help find and chase the soul back home. The chickens will be slaughtered, but before they are slaughtered, the shaman or wise elder will use the incense and ask of the chickens for help. This is what he or she will say to the chicken. O grateful, brave chicken, we do not crave for your luscious meat, nor do we crave for your richful broth. We are asking for your help to help us find a soul, to help protect us from evil. For after the great duties you accomplish, we will never forget, and we will thank you for your courage. Then the chickens are slaughtered and cooked. After the chicken is cooked, the feet and head are examined. By the way the feet curls and the skull of the head is shaped, it will tell the shaman or the wise elder that it has accomplished its job, give warning signs to the ill of what he or she shall not go or do, or warnings of death in the family, marriage in the family or a major dispute. Every chicken sacrificed is believed to reincarnate and go to heaven. That the chicken goes to heaven may of course be true, but from a Buddhist perspective, the person who killed the chicken certainly won't, not from this action anyway. In any case, this is an example of what the Geshe say is wrong view. Considering misguided forms of discipline and conduct as supreme, refers to thinking that certain types of behaviour or ethics will lead to liberation or heaven when such things have no such power. For instance, there is a famous practice in India of lighting four or five fires in a circle and sitting in the middle of the circle in the heat of the midday sun. The belief is that this will purify one's negativities and lead to liberation. Geshe Loden says the only result of such a practice is that you will get very hot. He also uses the example of an Indian king by the name of Dasrad, who killed a horse every day for a thousand days under the belief that through such action he would attain liberation. Not only is it impossible to attain liberation by harming beings, writes Geshe Loden, but such views take you further from it. He goes on, some people engage in faulty conduct as a result of seeing their previous rebirth as an animal through limited clairvoyance. Not being able to see beyond that, they believe that such a hu- animal re- rebirth is the cause of being a human in this life because it immediately precedes the human life. They then practice by behaving like an animal, walking on all fours, eating grass and so on, in the deluded belief that doing so will create the causes for another human life. Now I've never heard of this type of belief or practice before but I guess that sort of thing did go on in the old days. I would have thought it would be difficult in today's world to believe that behaving like an animal will lead to a human life next time. The fifth of the five deluded views holds faulty views as supreme. Again, Geshe Loden describes it like this. It is a mental factor that, in observing the view of the transitory collection, extreme view or wrong view, holds any of them to be supreme. It has the function of exaggerating deluded views and gives them strength, making it more difficult to abandon them. I guess you could call it a kind of ardent or rabid fundamentalism. I wonder if Hitler's views about the Jews can be counted here. This is from a speech he gave in Munich in 1922. My feeling as a Christian points me to my Lord and Saviour as a fighter, It points me to the man who once in loneliness, surrounded only by a few followers, recognized these Jews for what they were and summoned men to fight against them, and who, God's truth, was greatest not as a sufferer but as a fighter. In boundless love as a Christian and as a man, I read through the passage which tells us how the Lord at last rose in his might and seized the scourge to drive out of the temple the brood of vipers and adders. How terrific was his fight against the Jewish poison! Today, after two thousand years, with deepest emotion, I recognize more profoundly than ever before the fact that it was for this that he had to shed his blood upon the cross. As a Christian, I have no duty to allow myself to be cheated, but I have the duty to be a fighter for truth and justice. And as a man... I have the duty to see to it that human society does not suffer the same catastrophic collapse as did the civilization of the ancient world some 2,000 years ago, a civilization which was driven to its ruin through the same Jewish people. And as to the result of holding a faulty view as supreme, here we have ample proof of where that leads. So those are the five deluded views that are listed as a collection under the term wrong view. Now just to return for a reminder to Geshe Sonam Rinchen's explanation, remember he writes, the torrent of ignorance consists of obstructions which can only be eliminated in the paths of seeing and meditation, and we've discussed that. Then he writes, the torrent of views comprises the false view of the transitory collection as a real iron mine, extreme views, wrong views, considering misguided forms of discipline and conduct as supreme and holding faulty views as supreme. And we've just completed looking at that. Now he goes on. The torrent of desire includes all the disturbing attitudes and emotions other than ignorance and misleading views that are associated with the desire realm. As humans, we're very much involved in the desire realm. So you can think of all the disturbing attitudes and so on that we encounter throughout our lives. Actually, the Buddhist texts say that we can experience an infinite range of negative mental factors, But Buddhist psychology particularly lists six root mental factors or delusions and 20 secondary factors. It also lists four changeable mental factors that could be virtuous or non-virtuous. The six root non-virtuous mental factors are, of course, attachment, aversion, ignorance, pride, doubt and wrong view, while the secondary factors include rage, resentment, concealment, jealousy, stinginess and so on. Geshe Sanam Rinchen says apart from the main two of ignorance and wrong views the torrent of desire includes all of these. He then writes finally the torrent of worldly existence and what Gelag Rinpoche calls attachment consists of the disturbing emotions associated with the form and formless realms. In explanation of this Geshe Loden writes in the Path to Enlightenment in Tibetan Buddhism the gods of the form and formless realms live very long lives filled with bliss. They encounter nothing that we humans would regard as suffering, but their suffering is the subtle pervasive suffering of having the conditioned aggregates conditioned by ignorance and karma. Because of this, they do not have the power to retain their high status forever and eventually fall back into the lower realms. So the attachment we are talking about here is subtle and still involved with grasping and attaching to an independent and inherently existing self. It's as though all the negative imprints have become latent, but not disempowered. Geshe Sanam then concludes his analysis with, These causal torrents sweep living beings along, like a stick in the strong current of a river, and lead to the resultant waters of cyclic existence made turbulent by the irresistible currents of birth, sickness, aging and death. In other words, due to these causes, we cycle endlessly through samsara, from one type of existence to another, always being tossed about in the throes of birth, aging, sickness and death. Each one of these is described as suffering. Although in the West, we generally believe that the womb is a safe, warm and pleasant place we can snuggle into for nine months. However, Buddhism sees it differently. However, we can't go into that right now as our time is up and we must once again part. We'll continue the discussion on birth, sickness, aging and death next week, if I'm still alive, but until then, thanks for bearing with us today, and I hope you'll tune in again next week. Please remember to dedicate any positive energy from the program to the enlightenment of all living beings. Thank you, and goodbye.